0: Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Jay Rothman. To merely say that I was thrilled to get Jay on the show would be an understatement, because Jay is the chairman and CEO of Foley & Lardner. In the moments before we began recording the show, I took a moment to tell Jay just how happy I was to have him, and he jokingly responded to me, Alexis, you need to get a hobby. To which I said, Jay, this podcast is my hobby. But while I think of Jay as the firm's CEO, Jay is also a partner and transactional lawyer in Foley's Milwaukee office, where he focuses on M&A and capital markets. He's a member of the firm's management committee and former chair of the firm's transactional and security practice. Interestingly, Jay's been practicing at Foley for the entirety of his career, beginning in 1986, and in this conversation, we cover a number of things. Jay talks about growing up on a farm and how from the ages of 8 to 22, he jokes at least that he was his father's primary employee. (laughs) Jay also reflects on what he learned while clerking for the Seventh Circuit, something I found to be especially interesting given that Jay's a corporate transactional lawyer and clerkships just aren't as common for someone on that path. But as you'll hear from Jay, the time he spent clerking was one of the most important professional experiences in his life. And what he learned about putting people first is something that he has kept in his mind ever since. And of course, because Jay is CEO, we talk a lot about the unique culture and values of Foley and Lardner. And I even have an opportunity to reflect on how I was exposed to those values as a summer associate at the firm. Additionally, Jay shares a ton of wisdom and insight about how to best navigate a legal career. He talks about patience passion and setting a path but also remaining flexible i hope you enjoy the conversation jay welcome to the show as i was just telling you i am so excited to have you here
1: it's great to be with you today alexis i I look forward to our conversation
0: well we're going to start this like i start every other episode which is me asking you if you can give your professional introduction
1: Absolutely. I am a merger and acquisition and capital markets lawyer, and I spend most of my time working with the C-suite officers of companies and boards of directors in affecting transactions, dealing with other governance issues, and basically helping businesses grow and achieve their strategic objectives. And that's what I've done most of my career, and I'm now at a point in my career where I spend most of my time in the advising and counseling side, which is the part that I really enjoy and hopefully I can b- bring a variety of experiences to the table in that part of my professional career. And the other great part of that is having that opportunity is to also be able to bring what I've learned in my my role as chairman and, and CEO of Foley to the table. It's a learning experience for me watching our clients go through their processes, which have helped me, I think, be better at, at my current job at the firm.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. As you know, one of our goals today is to really figure out how it is that you became who you are today, how it is that you're able to give that professional introduction. And I want to start at the very beginning, which is where are you from? Where did you grow up?
1: I I grew up in the north central part of Wisconsin, outside a little town called Wausau. And that was home for 18 years uh, before I went to uh, undergraduate at Marquette in Milwaukee, which was my first real experience of spending time in Milwaukee and then out to the East Coast to Harvard for law school. I was a summer associate uh, at Foley and Lardner after my second year, and then went to a judicial clerkship in the Seventh Circuit for a year, and then came back full-time to Foley in 1986.
0: And as you know, I'm not going to let you get away with just summarizing your whole life in about two minutes, so we are going to go back and unpack a little bit of that. And as you also know, I grew up in Wisconsin as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. So I'm a little familiar with Wausau, not very, but but what was it like growing up in Wausau? What was your childhood like?
1: I had what, what I would consider almost an idyllic childhood. My uh, parents both worked, but my father's goal was to have a farm. And while he continued to work in town as a dentist, he bought a, a farm from one of his patients. And we had 80 acres and. He was a gentleman farmer and I think I was his full-time employee. So I was less than a gentleman farmer, but we raised at one point, we had about 40 head of beef cattle and about 20 horses and sundry other animals. And I farmed from the time that I was a young kid. I was eight when they bought the farm, and I was a farmer in the summer through the time that I was, was 22. So I have just a little bit of feel for the great work that farmers do in this country and the hard work that it is. Our livelihood was not dependent on the farm, which was probably a good thing if I was uh, the, the person predominantly in charge. But it was a great experience for me to live and have that connection with the land and have that connection with the animals. It taught a lot of self-reliance. It taught a lot about work ethic and it taught me a true appreciation for for manual labor. And that was just, it was a great way to grow up and I was really privileged to have that opportunity.
0: Well, so you're eight years old, your father's a dentist by day, but a farmer by, I would call it by night, but by probably the rest of his time.
1: (laughs) he enjoyed being out on the land and and doing those things but as a as a practical matter he was able to help on the weekends and sometimes in the evenings when he would get home but a lot of the the, the basic farm work I had a fair amount of uh, responsibility for dealing, even at a, a relatively young age. I've talked to my parents, who are fortunate they're both still alive in their 90s, but I have asked them from time to time, what were they thinking uh, in terms of complicating their lives? My mother was a school teacher, so she'd be back with us in, in, in the summers and, and certainly did a lot of work on the farm as, as well as did my dad but and my brother and sister. But it was an interesting experience, to say the least, and it added complication, but a whole lot of con- Context to life.
0: I promise we will move forward. But I just have to say, as someone who grew up in Wisconsin, often people who are from the coasts in particular think actually pretty much anyone who lives in Wisconsin must grow up on a on a farm and they start thinking of cows and cheese. And I don't want to perpetuate any stereotypes here. But I do want to ask what type of tasks would you be doing as a particularly as a younger kid?
1: Well, I mean, we, we had to grow and harvest crops, so we would make hay predominantly. We didn't raise corn, but we raised oats, so we'd have to plow in the spring or in the fall. We'd plow the field, and we'd get them ready for planting, and we would plant. And then twice during the year, we'd, we'd go over the land and cut the hay and, and then bale the hay and put it in the into the barn. The technology has changed drastically since uh, I was uh, in that role as whatever kind of farmer one could could call what we were doing. And then it was really taking care of the animals too, just animal husbandry. So, you know, you'd have anything from a, a cow having trouble with the delivery of a calf to being sick and with the horses, we actually showed the horses. So we were in competition most weekends during the summer months. And so there was... You know, the horses would have to have shoes put on. There was always issues in terms of dealing with vets, with horses having issues, trying to watch feed, particularly with both the cows and the horses, making sure you had the right feed mixtures and, and, and all sorts of things. And and we were not at all sophisticated farmers. I grew up with my best friend growing up was, was a dairy farmer, and there was an entirely different level of sophistication and efficiency in terms of farming, but just it was just a great experience to be outside, to have that manual labor, to have an appreciation for what farmers do for all of us and continue to do to this day in a very different way. But certainly uh, some of the basics haven't changed.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing a bit more about that because as you already said, I know it more than planted the seeds for work ethic and resilience and things that I'm sure you've since applied in your, your legal career. My next question though is, when did you decide you wanted to become a lawyer?
1: I had thought about that as I was finishing high school. I I liked to write. That made sense to me. I, I loved history and still love history. When I went to Marquette, I majored in political science, and I had a couple classes in constitutional law. I uh, had an advisor there w- who was very helpful in helping me think through going to law school. So that was kind of the next path for me. But I have to be honest, I didn't realize that firms like Foley and Lardner existed and the size and breadth and depth that the the, the firms had even at that time. They have Foley has grown, as have other firms uh, in that period of time. But I didn't realize that those types of firms actually existed. I was accustomed to one and two person law offices. That's what I was familiar with. Those were the lawyers that I knew growing up. So when I first started, I clerked for a small firm in Minneapolis after my first year in law school, actually in St. Paul. And then came to Foley after my second year of law school for the summer program and really got a taste of what it was like to be in in what is big law, I guess, is the best way to describe it and understanding the sophistication and the depth and breadth and what how these law firms actually function.
0: Well, and we're going to get there because I also think your observations on how the legal industry has changed and how much Foley has grown, for example, over the time you've been here is something I want to hear about. But I also just want to pause for a moment because what you described was growing up in Wisconsin helping to run a farm, going to Marquette, and then you went to Harvard for law school. And I realized it was some time ago, but I'm just curious what that was like for you to leave the state for law school. And then also your decision to come back to Milwaukee, or as I assume you could have gone other places.
1: It was an interesting, at least for me, it's interesting, who knows for anybody else. But w- w- what I looked at it when I I got the opportunity to go to Harvard and, and I that I would give it a shot. And, you know, in some sense, here's this guy who grew up in a rural part of of Wisconsin. You know, it it was intimidating, but I I met just some great people there. And it was a a terrific experience, friends that I have to this day. And then after you've been there, you go through your first year, you start to think about, okay, what am I going to do and where am I going to end up? And for a long time, I just thought I'd end up in New York because that's what a lot of my classmates were doing. And that was the logical thing for me. And then I Thank <laughs> and I did interview in New York and, and spent some time there. It's a great city. We've got a great office there. But for me, that was not something that I thought I w- wanted to be in a little bit smaller city. And I looked at Chicago, and, and and then I started looking at Milwaukee and Minneapolis. And what struck me was ultimately the quality of the firm. In that day, when you went to a firm, you didn't move a whole lot. And if, if I came back to Wisconsin, I wasn't going back to New York. And that's probably not true today where people are more more mobile. But that's really the way the structure of the profession was at that point. So that was a pretty big decision to make in some sense. But what caused me to do it was I spent time learning about Foley and Lardner and understood that it had already grown outside of its Wisconsin roots where it's been for 178 years and was, was starting its national expansion at that point. And I felt I could get a very equivalent experience to what I might have gotten in New York, just given the type of clientele that the firm has. And, for me, it was the right balance, but it was really driven by the firm at that point and not by necessarily the geographic location. I've grown to love Milwaukee, but it wasn't said, Boy, I want to live in Milwaukee. It's I found this place called Foley and Lardner that had these broader aspirations about what it wanted to be in the long run. And that's what was particularly intriguing to me because it gave me the balance of living in a smaller, a bit smaller city or a lot smaller city in, in, in some respects, but also the sophistication of the practice that. I was hoping to have. And, and I have not been disappointed by that decision. Uh, that was the right decision for
0: me. We're going to bookmark that and come back and talk a bit more about, about the firm in general and, you know, and your thoughts on it as CEO. But before we do, I want to ask, did you know corporate practice was always the practice for you? And if not, how did you end up focusing on it?
1: Yeah, I think so much of law school, it tends to be more focused on on litigation skills because I think just by their their nature, you do trial advocacy, you do con law, you do those types of things, and at least the focus I had. So originally, I thought I would look at litigation, and in my first summer, I spent some time doing litigation work, and, and I love our litigators to death, but for me the ability to have long-term relationships with clients, because litigation can be episodic. Not every litigation is an episodic relationship. But certainly on the corporate side, some of these relationships are, are really long-term. And there are clients that I started working with fairly early in my career that I still have a connection with you know, 35 years later, which I think is, is really interesting and really that, that excites me. And also helping, which is what we do, is we work with our clients to help them grow and help them achieve their strategic objectives. I just found that that challenge to me was, was really interesting. And I, started doing more corporate work at Foley. And and quite frankly, part of it was also I had mentors who very early in my career showed me why they had a passion for their practice and were teaching me not just the substantive skills, but the soft skills about being a lawyer, about judgment, about how do you deal when you're in a boardroom? How do you deal with the chief executive officer, for example? How do you approach problems? and work out and find solutions and i just found i really liked the people i was working with and that was the niche for me and i always looked at it and said i'll try this for six months or a year if i don't like it i'll see if i can shift within the firm and i never got to the point where i ever even thought about switching for me it was the right fit for others it might not be but for me it certainly
0: was the former litigator in me though looks at your background and says then why did he clerk?"
1: The clerkship was interesting because it's a fair question, because at that point I had decided I was probably going to be a corporate lawyer, but I was intrigued by the judicial process and had the opportunity to clerk for Judge Wood, Arlington Wood Jr. In, in, on the Seventh Circuit. And when I got that opportunity, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. He was such a, a gentleman, such a great jurist. Had fundamental fairness and integrity, just drove everything that he did. And it was just a, an incredible, incredible introduction to the legal profession for me. And yes, uh, I mean, it is not necessarily what you'd expect on the resume of a corporate lawyer per se, but I would do that again in an instant. And certainly as, as people think about that opportunity, if you find a judge that you've got that, a good connection with, uh, I, it was just an incredible experience. And my only regret is I didn't appreciate what an experience it was when I was in the middle of it. And now I reflect back on what I learned from Judge Wood and how he approached things and how he approached people with such respect, regardless of their lot in life. And that was a great lesson. I just wish I had more perspective to be able to understand how privileged I was to have that opportunity.
0: And if you wouldn't mind, could you give an example of something? I know you've stated what you learned, but are there any examples you could share of that you learned through him?
1: I learned through him that you help people, which is what he did. People would show up in his chambers, and they'd just show up, uh, which was, was interesting. And it was in the era before you know enormous security and everything else. And he, he had a, a chambers both in Springfield, Illinois, which was home for him, and, and in Chicago. But in Springfield, where he had grown up, people would come in and say, I have this problem. Can the judge help? And I remember one day he asked me and one of my my co-clerks, there was somebody who'd come in, they were down on their luck, and he said, help them. They needed to get back to Chicago and they needed to get into some form of assistance, the governmental assistance. And he said, your job today is to make sure this person gets back to Chicago and is hooked into the governmental assistance program. And that's what we did which was, you, you just don't even think about that. But people would have that great, great respect. I, I saw him deal with contentious situations where he would be respectful. The discourse was always civil, even where there was disagreement. I learned that from him. Just his sense of fundamental fairness, um, because he would say, how do we get to the right result? He said, listen, I have to, you know, I, I believe in the rule of law and, I, and I, I'm I not here to make new law or to legislate, but my gut tells me we should end up here. How do we get there? And can we get there in a fashion that is consistent with the precedent that governs our decisions? Those are just things I learned, just that you know, behavior. He, he was in the Justice Department during during the Vietnam War protests in Washington. And he talked about how he would go out and meet with the protesters as they were looking for permits and and talking to them and trying to understand what they were doing. He went into Wounded Knee when Wounded Knee was being occupied and went in alone, unarmed, to try to negotiate. But He had that level of respect because of his stature, because of his reputation, that he would exhibit that level of courage, but it was he believed in human beings. He believed in the goodness of human beings at the end of the day, and he would respect them, and he would try to find that. That was eye-opening, because that's not... exactly what you'd expect from a a federal judge. But that's the experience I had. And to this day, it has impacted. I know it has impacted how, hopefully, how I behave because I have certainly part of me thinks, okay, what would Judge Wood do in this situation? And that's a good reminder for me.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so glad I asked that question because I will say in the short time I've been with Foley, I think I've seen already some of that reflected in your leadership style. So that's really interesting to see where you're able to draw from as you lead the firm. But okay, so you clerk at the Seventh Circuit, You're back in Milwaukee, and we can't possibly go through all, oh, I don't know, 34 years of practice on this podcast, but I would like to get your reflections on what it was like joining the firm and really just navigating your career because, as I mentioned before we started recording, in addition to people at our firm listening, we have a number of law students who are starting to listen. And I think from an outside perspective, looking at large law firms, looking at the CEO of a firm it's easy to assume that someone like Jay Rothman was born into this world as a partner at a large law firm, knowing what to do. (laughs) And so if you had any thoughts on when you look back at the start of your career till now, really honing in, building client relationships. And so I just asked the world's most open-ended question, but it's intentional because I would like to know what jumps to mind for you.
1: I guess a couple of things. I mean, I came back here and I had enormous amounts to learn. And and I, I had some sense of that. And for the first couple of years, there were times that I think, well, maybe I just don't get it. And you realize that some of this takes years of experience to learn and to put into context. So particularly with new lawyers starting out, you know, be patient. You've done well in law school. You know what you're doing. You're a smart individual. Just give it time and give yourself that patience to learn. But view each of the experiences that you get as a building block, and then try to have them relate to each other. How does this last project relate to what I did a month ago, and and what did I learn from that? And I think that, to me, was the first starting point: is to to learn the substantive area of of the law, and with the securities laws as an example. But there are multitudes of different examples. It gets our clients, if the answer is one and is easy, they don't need to call us. It's when it gets into the minutiae, it gets into the gray areas, it gets into judgment. So the questions that you're dealing with out of the bat are not easy ones. And I think you have to give yourself some latitude to say, okay, I've got to learn this and I've got to figure it out and do my best to figure it out and learn it as quickly as I can, but that there is a fairly steep learning curve to start out with. And the, the, the second piece of advice for whatever it's worth I would share that I was blessed with were great mentors. And firms and and we do the same thing but firms assign mentors they go through that process and sometimes that's fantastic and that works just great but there are also informal mentor relationships that develop because you work with someone and you want to build that relationship over time and that's where not only did i learn the substantive pieces but i learned the soft pieces of, of how to practice about how you approach a situation about how you think about business development how you think about dealing with a contentious matter, where do you push? How do you position it? Are you thinking three and four and five steps down the line? Are you being proactive with clients? Because I think part of what we can bring to the table is that being proactive and thinking about what their issues are and thinking about, okay, I've just seen three clients do it this way. Maybe I should call that fourth client and say, listen, just something for you to think about we're not there to run their businesses by any means. But I saw my mentors do that. And, and one of the the tricks that the, that I used to, to use is when I was on a conference call or you know, we didn't have video conferences at the time, uh, we didn't have Skype and Microsoft Teams and everything else. But if I was primarily listening and making sure I was taking notes and documenting the, the conversation, I would Watch how our my partner mentors would respond to something, and if a client asked a question, I try to formulate a response in my own mind, and then I listen to what the partner would say. And you know, invariably, I learned from that process. But it kept me engaged. It kept me active. But it also helped me expand my horizons. And and I think that was that was a great thing in my mind in terms of how you grow in this profession. And you got to view this in my mind. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon and the great thing that one of the greatest things about the practice of law is you will learn something new every day. And I wonder how many professions you can really say that, but you really learn new things every day. The law changes, the circumstances change. You start getting into a new area because one of the clients you've been working with kind of drifts into a new area. So you have to learn it as well. That is such a great thing. And that's the great thing about being in a firm like Foley is you have those opportunities and your career ebbs and flows. And if you are intellectually curious and you have a passion for that type of problem solving and and doing it, this is just a a great profession. You know, I I, I blink and that period has gone by so quickly.
0: That mindset is so important. So as you you probably know, I was, uh, after practicing for about eight years, I was a legal recruiter for a couple mm-hmm. of years, and mm-hmm. I still have a number of people, if they can catch me, who want to talk about their profession, like just mm-hmm. job advice. And for the lawyers, I often stress what you just said, because although I had to not practice for, you know, 30 plus years, I worked with a lot of lawyers at different phases in their career, and I've seen it tends to be people that are... Definitely more than 10 years out, but maybe closer to 15 to 20 who really start having fun in their practice because there is so much that you're learning and things are ever changing, but they've come to accept that it changes and find joy and intellectual curiosity in that changing. Whereas I, I do think, and that's a stereotype, that at the more junior ranks, there's that feeling of being a bit unmoored. And like, when will I understand what's going on?
1: (laughs) I think that's just natural. And I think if all of us are honest with ourselves, we've all gone through that period of feeling that I kept looking at it and saying, I thought I was relatively intelligent, and I'm going through this and saying, I, how am I missing this? How am I not seeing that? And I'll never forget, I was in Boston one time, and this old lawyer, probably now my you know, my relative age, so I kind of date myself, but he came in, and it was in a esoteric securities matter. We were doing an underwriting, and he cited some code, in the something under the, the Securities Act of 1933, and said, no, don't forget that. And I sit back and say, how the heck did he know that? And it took me about a year or two to realize that he had gotten burned one time because he had forgotten that. And regardless of whatever else happens in his life, he is never going to go through that process again. And experience is so important to this profession. And it just, it takes time. And when you start out, you want to learn everything you want to be a master you want to show people you can do how you you know this and you've got this and and you've got to be fair with yourself and you got to give yourself time and the the great thing about with what, what my experience about people gave me time They allowed me to learn they allowed me to push and expand ask questions think about things and i remember driving to client or flying to client meetings and having the chance to have that one-on-one time with with a partner because the way our firm is leveraged we have a lot of that interaction which is great and just we 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 talked about things and so you know and and i'd have partners says how would you approach this what would you think about how would you react to this and then they talk about the culture of the law firm, too, which was always, I mean, it was a way of just continuing to build that culture and the newer lawyers coming up. But, you know, my, my advice is, yeah, you're going to feel like you've been thrown into the deep end of the pool and you, you need to learn how to swim. And that will come in time, but you're not going to learn it in your first day. You're not going to learn it in the first year. It, it is a process. But as you look back over your first year, you'll look back and say, boy, have I learned a lot. And that's absolutely right. And you'll say the same thing after your second and third year. And eventually you start feeling much more comfortable. And you're right. Things change. And then you're more comfortable with the change. The, The hard part is when things are changing, when you don't even know what the old rules were, and now there are new rules. And to put that all in context, but that's the way of the world.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, and what you said earlier about that example of the partner raising the thing from the Securities Act... That's a key, I think, for young lawyers to understand, hope this is fair to say, how a lot of partners operate, which is the things that are seared in their brains are the things that where they learned the most, where probably something got messed up. And that's why they're asking you the second year four times if you triple-checked, that the case really said X. And I actually think understanding that allows you to have a lot more compassion and understanding for those that you work with, that a lot of times it's not till you mess something up that you truly, you truly learn it. And also you talking about the mentorship. So as you know, but our, our listeners may not know, I was a summer associate at Foley back in 2006. And yes, unfortunately, my career took a different path, but I'm back now. But my time at Foley really was pivotal in my legal career because I remember I I went to a short trial in downstate Illinois with Jim Dasso. And I remember being in the car driving back to Chicago with him and a senior associate. And Jim really wanting to know my opinion, like really, really, really wondering my opinion on what had happened with their presentation and me thinking, I'm just, a, I just finished my first year of law school. Like, why is this, you know, senior partner at the firm? But I think it really was indicative of that culture that you're talking about. It starts at such an early, early state in the firm.
1: I think that's right. And, and I think you also As you spend more time in the profession, you understand that Jim was actually asking because he was serious about how you thought it went. Because as much as you think, you know, the partner's confident, knows everything that's going on. We all operate with some level of of self-doubt, and that's just the nature of the beast. And quite frankly, I think that's an important part because it keeps you humble that you don't know everything. There's always a different way to present it. There's always a different way. You can always think about how you make it better. And you get a broader perspective as you spend more time in the profession because you start to tie so much more together. But it's not like you have all the answers. And if you ever run into somebody who says they have all the answers, you're probably good to be skeptical of that. There is the person who is never in doubt but not always right, I guess, is the best way to describe it. and, and that's it is a practice. it's that's that's why it's called a practice. you you're always improving.
0: That's great advice. And before we talk, because as you know, you're the CEO of Foley and Lardo, we're gonna to have to talk a bit about the cultures and values of the firm. But before we transition to that, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. And in particular, I know that you now like you have kids and we're also managing and balancing family life as you are navigating your career. I I don't know what, like how junior you were, but I've heard some people share anecdotes with me that apparently you shared in the firm in the past about how you and your wife at certain times balanced family. And I would be interested if there's anything you could share about that.
1: It was the two kids who are now 24 and 22 were just, I mean, fantastic experience. I wouldn't wouldn't trade them for the world. But both my wife and I were working full time when we had both of them, and it was a challenge. It is. It is hard to find that balance and you always feel like at some level you're you're writing just on the edge because if the caregiver gets sick or a kid gets is at school and you get the call from school, how are you going to manage all of that? And that does create a level of because we're lawyers, we want to be thinking out all these multiple steps forward. We want to have a solution to everything. And sometimes life throws you curves and kids teach you that. And that was the balance that that we had to to find. In our respective careers, and that that can you know, I, I I can relate to people who who go through those stresses and those anxieties. And the flip side, as I said, I would do that in an instant if I were to repeat it, because it was one of the great blessings of of our lives is to, are those two kids.
0: I'm happy to hear you say that. My children are seven and nine. I have two boys. And it's nice to hear that as adults, you're like, I, I wouldn't change it because there are times where I'm just like, I don't know, kids, I don't know how to return you right now. but I can't. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I love them very much, but they, they do challenge me. Some of those
1: bad experiences you forget over time, Alexis. So it's okay. That's the great thing about memory. You don't remember all of the really tough stuff. You remember the good stuff.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing that. And as we transition our conversation a bit, I have to give a little bit of background. And I I feel like so many people know this about me, but many don't. So I grew up in the Milwaukee area, North Shore of Milwaukee, Glendale, Wisconsin. And I was actually in Milwaukee in February for a Bucks game. And Jay and I got to speaking a little bit. And we realized that probably for I'm gonna guess for a good five to 10 years, we were neighbors. We were separated by a couple of blocks because you don't still live on a farm. You live at Whitefish Bay. And I learned that I think you were like two blocks away from me in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. which I just find so interesting because what's so fun for me about returning to Foley is I have a number of things in common with the firm. I grew up in Milwaukee, Foley's headquartered in Milwaukee. I was a summer associate here, my 1L summer. And actually, a good friend of mine who I went to law school with is a partner at the firm. So I've watched him matriculate at Foley for the past 10 years. And something that has struck me is one of the main reasons I was so excited to come back is I had a good sense of who Foley and Lardner was. And I don't know that a lot of people do. And so I would love, Jay, to have you talk a bit about, in particular, the values of Foley and particularly the focus on people and stewardship.
1: Sure. And, and, and one of the things that we are, are proud of and protective of is our culture. And each Firm has its own culture, and uh, we have ours. And I'm not going to say ours is better or whatever, but it, it it is our culture and what we focus on. And we have eight core values that are living of those core values define, in my judgment, our culture. And just let me let me hit on just a couple of them. One is it it all starts with people, and is in a professional services firm you have to have great people and so our focus you know right out of the gate is is on people what all of that means from professional development from teamwork from collaboration from enjoying each other when we're looking to bring new people into the firm one of the things we look very hard at is do they fit within our culture because if they don't regardless of how great a talent they may be it's just not going to work they're not going to be happy we're not going to be happy but that is the starting point The second, and these are not weighted in any one way or the other, but our clients, I mean, we are our purpose is to serve our clients to serve their needs to help them achieve their objectives and we can never forget that purpose that's why we get up in the morning that's what hopefully inspires us and and i see that inspiration across the firm that people really enjoy working with our clients and helping them out being their counselors one of the greatest things you can have in in our profession is when it really when it really becomes difficult that you're the first call that the client makes or that when the client's having trouble with a with a kid that has nothing to do with the practice of law they'll call and just ask what do you think you know and this is you're not on you're not billing you're not doing anything it's just that personal relationship that you've built and i think those two core values really tie together because it's it's the relationships that we have with each other internally and it's that relationship that we have externally and it's around mutual respect it's about dealing with people with integrity with respecting people's differences, with trying to help them improve to get better. And that's the same thing that we do internally that we do externally with our clients. The other one that we have talked about forever, and I think with a firm that's been around 178 years, there's got to be something that really holds that organization together. And for us, it's the concept of stewardship. And that's the the best way I define that is the, the responsibility and the privilege of our current partners is to leave the firm better than they found it. And really, we could have one core value in some sense. It could be that piece, because then if you want to leave the firm better than you found it, you want to find great talent, you want to recruit great talent, you want to mentor and develop great talent, you're going to do what's right for your client every single time. It's not about how much money can we make from this engagement, Is what can we do to help that client because that's going to build long-term client loyalties. That's going to be great for the long-term future of the firm. And that's one of the things that I have been proudest of. It's one of the things that attracted me to the firm in the first instance is that thought process that the firm was investing at that point because the firm started in Milwaukee, but, and Alexis, you mentioned a headquarters. We really don't even have a headquarters anymore. That's true. We have leadership across the country, and I'm proud of that. We happened to start in Milwaukee, but the firm has grown to be in the, the West Coast and in the, in the Southwest and the East Coast and in the, in the Southeast in a way that I didn't envision when I, when I first came here. And that has all been built on people making investments in the future. Because when you do a combination with another firm, there are expenses that are associated with that. And if you wanted to maximize your income, you wouldn't you wouldn't spend that. But our partners in particular are focused on how do we build a better law firm. And I think I would hope and I, I certainly believe that our partners want to look at this and say, I want that firm to be successful when I've retired from it and take great pride. And I talked to our retired partners today, and that's what they're focused on. They say, how is the firm doing? Have you been able to carry on and expand on what we built? That, to me, is what what builds a, an organization that will survive for the long term.
0: As you know, that's really heartening to me. And my role at the firm is Director of Diversity and Inclusion. And one of the reasons I was attracted to returning to Foley, was having some understanding of those values. But as I got a refresher in them, and for example, watch the video of you, Jay, on our careers page, which I imagine is from a few years ago, but you took a moment to really talk about stewardship. And that means a lot to me because I think at, at its core, diversity and inclusion work is about people and it's about leadership. And you can talk about it without ever even saying the words diversity And inclusion. So it really does mean a lot to me that that's so woven in the fabric. And, you know, we're candid, like most large law firms, we have work to do in that respect. But I've just been so happy by the cultural foundations we already have, and to be able to keep working with you and others. To build upon those and then also to keep sharing stories of when I was a summer associate at Foley because, I, you know, that's apparently what I think people want to hear. But I also had that really exhibited to me. I remember writing my first real research memo. And at the time, Mike Conway was still in Chicago, I believe, leading the litigation group. And he marked it up. And we sat down for a good 30 to 45 minutes, where he walked this summer associate through a research memo. And I know you reflected on working with the judge and maybe not fully appreciating at the time what a big deal this that was. That was my mini moment where it's been a few years later where I really reflected on what a big deal that was for him, you know, a busy partner at the firm to take that kind of time to help me, you know, just finish my first year of law school and prove my writing. Because, and I don't know if I appreciated it as much at the time because I was too busy being mortified. <laughs> 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 at the things he caught and the recommendations he made. <laughs> but I look back and I really do think that's emblematic in many ways of, you know, who and what Foley and Lardner is. And to those listening thinking this is some weird sales pitch, it's really my time to sort of nerd out and share how much I really valued that in my own you know professional trajectory.
1: And I suspect that everyone in the firm was here full time has had similar experiences because that's what binds. Those are the things that at one point in your career you might take for granted. You might think, well, this is the way everybody does it. And I've learned and I've had the privilege of having a little bit different perspective. That's not the way everybody does it, that there is a focus on developing people to be great lawyers. And that takes time, and that takes exactly what Mike was doing for you, Alexis, is to sit down and have that discussion. And one, one of the challenges, quite frankly, in a digital world is that in with clients needing us to respond faster. I'm not saying that they expect us to. They, they need us to because they're being asked to respond faster. You don't have as much of that time just to sit back and let's reflect on something So you have to affirmatively make time for that. And I think certainly in in the current circumstances where a lot of people are working remotely, maintaining those connections have been really important. But I've been proud of what what our people have done. And I think that that to me speaks so much to culture. I mean, I, I was probably late to this game, but it dawned on me four or five years ago how critical it was to have that cultural piece really right. I had probably been raised in this culture and had taken it for granted that, well, that's you don't, but you have to feed and nurture it and focus on it. And I think when you go through a really challenging time, like we are as a country right now with the pandemic, that culture comes through in terms of how you relate to people, how you react, what you think about. And again, if you think, come back to that point we're talking about earlier about stewardship, If you are focused on leaving the place better than you found it, what are the decisions that you need to make as we all work through this unexpected challenge that we're all going through with with enormous human cost and everything else that our country and the world is, is experiencing right now? But how do you try to make decisions that are consistent with your core values as you go through that? And that's the strength of that culture, in my mind, has really been reassuring to me is, as we go through and you, you look at a day that is just uncertain. You don't know. You know, when you think about what is next month going to look like? What is the month after that going to look like? You don't know. And in that environment, how do you continue to serve our clients well when they don't know? And part of it is if... if Again, if you, if you love the problem-solving aspect of it and thinking through and maybe even not even problem-solving, but managing a dilemma, which in some sense the pandemic is, novel, creative thought, we've never been through this before. And it's one of the greatest things I've seen in, in our organization that people have pulled together. They have collaborated across practice areas, across offices, and thought about, okay, we've got this blank slate. Nobody's ever been through this before. How are we going to advise clients as they work through this? And and I have been so proud of watching my colleagues do just such extraordinary things for our clients. It's really I completely agree with you. And it's it's unfortunate that we're having to live through this, but that's the hand that we've drawn and we can't it is what it is from that standpoint. But given that those are the facts, how do we help our clients through it and how do we react as an organization as we work through the pandemic?
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, one of the smaller things that grew out of the pandemic is actually this podcast, which is sort of funny, but also I would say it was maybe two months ago. I really sat and I thought about just how amazing it is that Foley and Lardner, but all these other large law firms, we've moved so quickly to mobilize to be in these virtual environments so that we could continue delivering client service. And I know it sounds really buzzwordy, but it really is amazing when you consider what the industry has done, what this firm has done. And we also get lawyers outside of the firm listening. I think everyone should take a moment to really think about that because it's something that we, I think, all should marvel at and be proud of. I know it was driven by necessity, but that doesn't make it any less amazing that we did it. But now I'd like to switch gears a little bit as our uh, winding down our time together. I have two final questions for you Jay. They may be similar, but I'd like to ask each of them separately. And the first one is looking back on your career, if you could give your 18-year-old self or your 20-year-old self some advice on, you know, this long legal career he has ahead of him. What would you say to yourself?
1: I guess a couple things. One is make sure you have the passion to do this; that you're doing it for the right reason; that you like the intellectual challenge; that you're intellectually curious; you have a passion for helping clients and helping build things. Because I think, regardless of where your practice is, if you don't have that, you know, underlying who you are, then you have to think about is the legal profession the right thing. I think we've talked about some of this already. You know, one is. Be patient with yourself, You know, demand excellence of yourself, but understand you're not going to hit it, not every day, and that you're going to make mistakes, but learn from those mistakes. And I will tell you, uh, as I reflected on some of the most challenging times I've had in my professional career and some of the disappointments that I've incurred, they have been great learning experiences and they have allowed me to be empathetic in situations where perhaps without those experiences, I could have best been sympathetic. And that's important. And find your mentors and understand that mentorship is a two-way street, that, you know, there are times that you're going to have a full plate of work to do and your mentor is going to need something. Help your mentor out in the same way that they're going to help you out, but find that person with whom you connect or persons with whom you connect that will help teach you, again, not only the substantive piece, but the soft skills. And then finally, be patient. This is a marathon. If you've done well through school, you've got the intelligence to do that, but there are other skills you need to develop over time. Be cognizant of those. Have a plan, but don't stick too much to your plan. Have objectives but also be flexible. Because I think sometimes when we, we have objectives and we have a plan, and we walk by a lot of doors that we should have opened. And it's sometimes opening that unusual door that opens you to an entirely different level of experience that, that is important. So you know, have your plan, know what you want to do, but be open to being flexible and, and changing that plan when it makes sense.
0: That's fantastic advice. As you know, the podcast is called The Path and the Practice. So have a path, but be open to considering and looking at others while you're on that path. And then lastly, and I think you've already answered this, but I really just like the idea of ending the podcast this way. To the many law students or even you know prospective laterals who are wanting to know about Foley and Lardner, in a couple of sentences, what are the things that you would like them to know about this firm?
1: I guess a couple of things. One is, and again, sometimes this sounds trite, but it is not, because this is who we are. Just the commitment to excellence is something that I have been extraordinarily proud of in, in this firm. Close enough is not good enough. It is a it is a high standard that you know sometimes one does not always achieve, but you always strive for that. And and that is it underlies our relationship with our clients and the and the quality of service that we deliver, the promptness, the thought process that goes into it. But excellence also is in terms of, you know, building human relationships internally, that you do the right thing, that that's an important piece of of who we are. And then I think secondly is the cultural piece is that we have our culture. We are proud of our culture. We think it works for us. And if it's something that is attractive and, and something that you feel you'd like to be in with that, you're the perfect person for us. There will be people who look at that and say, eh, that's not who I want to be. Or, that's not the culture I want to be. And we get that. But in terms of the talent we want in, because the, the talent drives this place, absolutely drives this place. You cannot do great things. You cannot achieve excellence without having great talent. It's as simple as that. And all I can share is, my experience and what I've observed, but I made a choice a number of years ago and and I have never looked back and I have often thanked my lucky stars that I made the decision that I did some years ago.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jay. And also to those people who are listening, just keep listening to this podcast. It's a great insight, I think, into who the firm is. And that is one of the reasons I wanted to start it so that we could share that with people. But Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. If somebody had questions or wanted to reach out to you, I'm assuming the best way to find you is the Foley website.
1: My direct telephone number and my email are are on the Foley website, and I would welcome the opportunity to speak or communicate with uh, with anyone who has further questions or would like to delve into this conversation. Uh, But Alexis, thank you for having me today. This has been enjoyable.
0: Thanks, Jay. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jay Rothman. I am here to share a little update on his path, an update that's bittersweet, which is to let you know that as of May 2022, Jay stepped down from his role of chairman and CEO of Foley & Lardner to subsequently join the University of Wisconsin Collegiate System as president that is right after over 30 years with foley and 11 years as the chairman and ceo jay has continued his path by entering academia we are so proud of him we miss him and we are grateful for the leadership and service that he gave the firm over the last many decades with that being said if you would like to listen to a conversation with our new ceo and chairman dalji dugal i encourage you to listen to episode 83 of the podcast. And I also have to take one more moment just to thank Jay for all that he has done for the firm and to say that we know he will be watching our progress and checking in on us. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising, and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.